First Corinthians chapter 2, we have been covering the subject of the wisdom of God in contrast to the wisdom of man. And we will continue on in that vein in particular regarding the gospel. Regarding the gospel and biblical truth. First Corinthians chapter 2, and we look at verse 6 to begin. It reads, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, of which have not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's bow in a word of prayer once again before we begin our study this morning. Our Father, we come once again before your throne, asking that you would illumine our minds, that you would grant to us understanding For we know it is by your Spirit that we understand and have the knowledge of you. Grant to us insight and open the eyes of our heart that we might see, understand, and obey. For you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been looking, as I shared with you, at the subject of man's philosophy, man's wisdom, man's perspective, man's worldview. In contrast to God's. In contrast to God's word, God's view, God's wisdom as found in his word. That's what we've been looking at. And when we stop to think about it, everyone everyone here has some type of theology, some type of philosophy of life, some type of thing. Whether you can name it, categorize it, tell me what it is or what not, you live by some sort of philosophy according to certain beliefs that you have. 
And man's wisdom, man's philosophy is generally a belief that somehow benefits yourself. Is that not true? Is it not true that you do things for your benefit? You do things and people do things oftentimes in this world such that they'll be more prosperous, more healthy, more wealthy, more happy, more satisfied. You have a philosophy. People do. People have some type of way in which they live. They don't live haphazardly, at least for the majority of people. They live so that they'll have greater satisfaction in life. And everyone has certain hangovers from their pre-Christian life too. In other words, before they became a Christian, they lived a certain way, and we all did. We all had certain beliefs, certain ways that perhaps even the world has affected us. And we live by those things still, unbiblical beliefs, vestiges from our old life, hangovers into our Christian life that we continually, continually mold our minds towards, because, towards biblical worldviews. That is what God desires. But we have ways that we've adopted. Some of these ways our individual cultures have dictated. Some of these ways might be superstitious. Some of these ways might be carryovers from our American culture. Superstitions, things that we believe which aren't biblically based. I remember one talking with one Christian real estate agent who really thought that this idea of feng shui or of, of, of hardness and softness, of a balance in energy was so important in them selling homes and how things ought to be built. Having its roots in astronomy, some people believe that really brings them good fortune. Or perhaps if you were in my culture and you grew up in a particular way, my mother didn't teach me these things, but I heard about them from others, that maybe you shouldn't wash your hair when it's your birthday, or when you shouldn't wash your hair on New Year's because you'll wash all the bad luck out. Or some people are very much, even Christians are, very inclined towards dates or numbers that have to do with the word eight or the number eight because it sounds like the word for prosperous. And I remember friends who would get married and I remember August 8th, 2008 being a very popular date. Of course, they avoid the number four because in my culture it sounds like the word death. You would never want to get married on mm, April 4th, 2004. Parents sometimes even tell their kids little things. You know, my culture, you know, you tell your little kid, you better eat all the rice on that plate. Because if you don't finish it off, your future spouse, every grain of rice is a zit on your future spouse's face. American culture has its own set of superstitions they follow. You go into certain buildings, government buildings, hospitals, you ever look? It's what? Oh, you can press 9, 10, 11, 12, and then it goes to 14. They're missing the 13th floor. Or many people believe in bad luck. Bad luck to open a umbrella up indoors. Or it's bad luck, as some of you have probably seen on your wedding day. Bad luck to see the bride before, before the wedding. You ever been told that during your wedding? Well, do you know where that comes from, by the way? comes from this old thing way back when, when the bride would be, you know, part of the father's household. And back then, it would have, they'd have all these arranged marriages, you know, so you wouldn't actually see. You wouldn't actually see your bride or your groom until the day of the wedding. 
And if, for, for example, you happen to see your future bride or your future groom the day of your wedding prior to the marriage, well, you might scream in horror and run away. But you may ask, what keeps the bride or groom from, uh, you know, seeing them as they're coming down the aisle and then screaming in horror and running away when they see them then? Well, that brings up another little superstition that people have believed, and that's why in some old movies you'll see the, the veil is not this lacy thing. The veil is this piece of cloth. You cannot see in or out of it in either way. And so that way when the officiant says, well, and now I declare you man and wife, you may now kiss the bride. And he lifts up the veil. They can scream in horror all they want. They're married. Too bad. <laughs> fact of the matter is, people knowingly or unknowingly follow human philosophies. They follow things, you know. They even tell their kids, why don't you throw a penny in there? It's a wishing well. Or they tell their kids, well, say a wish before you blow out your candles as if that's going to come true. I tell my nieces, say a prayer before you blow out those candles on your birthday cake. Suffice it to say, though, man's wisdom is never and has never been greater than the wisdom of God. Particularly when it comes to forgiveness of sin, to eternal life, to heaven, salvation. And that is what Paul addresses here. People have means by which they think they're going to obtain eternal life. They think if they're a good person, or they think if they die as a martyr, or they think that if they're devoted to a religion, it doesn't matter, all ways lead to God. Never would people, in their own wisdom, never would they have thought that salvation would be free. That all you have to do is place your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins. And last week we looked at the fact that the wisdom of God, in the passage previous to this, the wisdom of God is counterintuitive. When Paul tells them, Paul tells them, there are not many among you who are what? Verse 26, not wise, not many mighty, not many noble. God didn't choose the majority of them to be the most popular folks, the most influential, the most wealthy, the most people who who were well-known. He chose those who were plain, who were humble in heart. Counterintuitive to what God would think. In fact, Do you know who in the scriptures does the scriptures say was the greatest person ever born, aside from Christ? Do you remember? Luke chapter 7 tells us in 28, Jesus says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, do you remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist was sort of a backwoods type of a guy, you'd probably say. Some guy who didn't wear the traditional clothing that others did. I mean, imagine to yourself if your daughter came home. She said, Dad, I'm engaged. Who are you getting married to? A preacher. Well, that's wonderful. Here's a picture of him. There he is wearing skins. Where does he live? Out in the forest. What's he have? A bunch of bees flying around, honey, and a bunch of crickets on a plate. You'd probably think to yourself, you'd better think twice if that's That's going to be my son-in-law. But God chooses people that we might not think in our eyes might be the most normal or the most popular. He chose people to use and carry his message, people who are not worthy of the world. 
Here John the Baptist was, and you remember I shared with you about the profiles of all the disciples. People who were fishermen, people who had tempers, people who had prejudices, people who wanted their own way, who were ambitious, people who had discriminatory views sometimes, people who were pragmatic, who were doubting. And yet God in His power changed their life and used them in powerful ways. In the wisdom of God, God saved them. And we come in that vein that God in His wisdom and salvation, God did bring His gospel in a unique and powerful way through people who were plain. And we speak that wisdom, Paul says. We speak that wisdom to those who are mature. To those who are mature. And at first it was hidden, but now it is revealed. In verse 6, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Some might think the mature means those who are mature Christians versus those who aren't mature. No, here in this passage, in this context, it is a contrast between those who are mature or those who are believers, those who are saved, versus the rulers of this age. And that means, that is a reference to those who were the spiritual leaders or the Pharisees or those who crucified Christ. In other words, the gospel was brought and those who were mature received it. It was a wisdom for that time because God had not revealed it before. God's plan was a mystery. It was later revealed in the time of Christ. It was no longer hidden and it was now revealed that God had predestined all of these things such that when Christ came, salvation was for all people and it was revealed in that time more fully. God in Christ fulfilled that prophecy in verses 9 when he says in quotes, things which eye had not seen, ear had not heard, and which had not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. You see, the scriptures tell us that this mystery that he speaks of, this mystery that he says in verse 7, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined. That was the gospel. It is the gospel message. Before Israel didn't understand it, before the Jews didn't understand it, the rulers didn't understand it, and so they crucified Jesus on the cross. Had they known it, it says there, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And no one would have ever thought, no one would ever thought that God would send his own son to die on the cross in such a way for your sins and for mine. It's only in retrospect. And many times it is in retrospect, in looking back. In looking back we see the wisdom of God, isn't it? Those of you who are perhaps older, who have had more life experience, can look back because you have some life history. Maybe those of you who are younger as well, but you can look back and you can see through events in your life and you see God's hand and God's wisdom that has brought you through different things. You can see, oh, God did this and He protected me from this or He blessed me in this way or He disciplined me even so that I might be where I am today. And He's brought you and carried you through life. And in the wisdom of God, it is often in retrospect that you see, just like Paul mentions here. Many of you know 
For example, the name Brian Dirksen. If you don't recognize that name, you probably recognize some of the songs that we sing. Refiner's fire, come, now is the time to worship, or Lord, light the fire again. Many of you know those songs because we sing them here. Many of you perhaps don't know, though, that his child, Isaiah, has fragile X syndrome. Fragile X syndrome is a genetic condition and it affects one's physical and intellectual and emotional and behavioral characteristics. In other words, that child is not going to be like your typical child. And in his book entitled, Make Love, Make War, he says in the midst of his heartache that he was about to resign, he writes, quote, After receiving the test results, I stumbled around our property, weeping, confused, broken-hearted. At one point, I lifted my voice to heaven and handed in my resignation. God, I am through being a worship leader and songwriter. And he writes and he continues on how God taught him, however, that God held out his hand and how God impressed upon him and reminded him that he was to trust him. That how was he going to minister to others who were also broken, those who weren't acquainted with disappointment, those who had difficulties in their life if he had not gone through the same thing. And he writes, I used to think people were most blessed by our great victories, but now I know differently. People are just longing to hear others speak of how they have walked through the deepest valleys. The world lifts up the victorious and the successful, but God lifts up the brokenhearted, unquote. In the wisdom of God, He even allows our trials, our trials to teach us because we are His treasure. And it is in those months and even years down the road that you look at your own life and you see the wisdom of God. Here in particular in this passage it is talking about the wisdom of God in retrospect how it was a mystery. But even us, we've come to know Christ after a number of years, after God has brought us through perhaps people that He has sent into our life, that it might be revealed to us that we might know too the hidden mystery of God. And we're grateful for that. And we're thankful for how God has used those individuals who had revealed to us through God's Spirit the truth of the Gospel. Secondly, though, we understand that this revelation is by the Spirit of God. Verse 10, For to us God revealed them through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. You see, knowing God, knowing His truth, and understanding the person and the wisdom of God, it all comes because the Spirit of God reveals those things to us. The Spirit of God knows the mind and the heart of God. No one knows except the Spirit of that individual. You may have a person who is perhaps your best friend, perhaps your spouse, somebody that you know very well, but they don't know what you're thinking all of the time. They don't know what's going on inside of your mind. Sometimes you may have somebody that has no clue what comes into your minds. You have to be perhaps a a person who is in their shoes to know even what they're talking about. A person knows when they are thinking certain things, but no one else does except for you and God. 
When a person becomes a Christian, they receive the Spirit of God. They receive the Holy Spirit which indwells them. And the Spirit of God helps them to understand the mind of God through the Word of God. Helps us to understand the Scriptures. You ever wonder why it is so difficult sometimes for those who are not Christians to understand everything in the Scriptures, to understand what this means or what it is talking about? He helps us, the Spirit of God does, as it says there, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. They are expressed, as it says in the text, in spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The Bible has spiritual thoughts. The Bible has spiritual words. They're expressed to us in terms. Terms that are spiritual terms that we probably wouldn't hear otherwise. Words like sanctification, propitiation, even the term born again. As often as it is said, perhaps, many people don't know what it means to be born again. And they are spiritual thoughts conveyed by spiritual terms. All of this is through what is known in theology as special revelation. Special revelation. Special revelation is different in theology than what's known as general revelation. Special revelation it refers to things that have been supernaturally revealed to the people of God or to individuals at specific times in the past. Sometimes it was through angels in the Old Testament. Special revelation was given to prophets who prophesied. Special revelation was given today, today to us, through the Word of God. For what would we know about God? It would be limited if it were not about given to us through the Word of God. Natural revelation is what is given to us in nature, what God has created, that it testifies of God and what He has done. It testifies of certain aspects of God's character. But God has revealed through His Spirit truth, giving us understanding in His Word. Thirdly, The Spirit of God illumines our mind. The Spirit of God illumines our mind. Verse 14. It says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The person who is not a Christian does not accept, does not believe the things of God. They don't make sense to them. It's not that they don't understand English. It's not that they don't comprehend some of the words that are there. But the idea behind acceptance is that of belief, of embracing, of appropriation, of acceptance. It is the difference between what we might call heart knowledge and merely head knowledge. Because someone can know all the facts about Christianity. Someone can reiterate how a person becomes a Christian. Somebody can verbally tell you what it means to be saved. They can have all the right answers, but in their heart they reject it and they don't truly believe it. Do you realize too that there are some Bible commentaries that are written? You can't just go to any bookstore and pick up a Bible commentary and trust that it is right, that it is true. There are some commentaries that are written by people who are not Christians. In fact, one of the best commentaries in the book of Romans I can think of was written by somebody who has outstanding, outstanding technical verbiage on the words that are there, on the grammar that is used. 
But in the end, you read their conclusions and you come to the conclusion there is a good chance this person doesn't know God, isn't saved because they come to conclusions that are not even related so much so to the gospel. And it's so very sad, so very sad to see people who spend so much of their life and time dedicated to quote-unquote religion but have no relationship with God. On the other hand, there is a rare case, there is a rare case when someone who is a person, doesn't know the Lord and has been studying the Word, that comes to know Christ and writes on behalf of Christ and His glory things that are so helpful. When someone doesn't know God, they do not have the Spirit of God to help them. To them it is foolishness. They don't understand God's ways. They don't accept God's ways. To them it is backwards. I remember when I was at the UW a long time ago, I was sharing with my, my professor. I had at that time decided I was going to go to seminary. And I told my engineering professor that I decided I was going to finish my degree and I was going to go to a Christian seminary afterwards because um, I was maybe going to become a pastor. And I remember his response. His response was just, just hilarious. He was beside himself. He said, go to seminary? Why? Why would you want to do anything like that? I can only think of three reasons, he said. Three reasons. Why anyone would want to go to seminary? Number one, you break up with girlfriend, so you decide you become pastor. Number two, you fail at everything else, so you become pastor. And I was so laughing, I forgot number three was. That's how it is. Those who don't know God have no concept. Why in the world would someone want to serve God? Give up a, a career or whatever it might be. Fascinating. I've met people who would ask me that question. To me, it's not a big trade at all. I think to myself, gosh, they don't understand. And people, they won't understand you as you live your Christian life. They're going to think the way you act is foolishness. First Peter tells us you that. First Peter 4, verse 3. It says this. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, it says, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. And they will give, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, the way that you act, the standard that you keep, the values that you have, when you are with people who do not know Christ, they will malign you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to tease you. They'll pressure you to do things that you feel like, boy, if I don't do them, I'll, I won't fit in. But God already knows that they will do these things. It will surprise them that you no longer live like them, if you live like them in the first place. But it says God will judge them. And that's where you need to take a stand, knowing that your life is different. Because God has granted to you an understanding of what is true, of the way to live a righteous life. 
And it says here even in that ending prophecy in verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? In other words, there will be people who will debate with you. They'll be debating with you and trying to correct you on the things that you think that you know, that you have learned from the Word of God. And they'll be argumentative. And yet, in reality, they're not arguing and debating with you. They're arguing against the Word of God. Because some people see the Bible as archaic. Some people see the Bible as out of date, out of step with modern culture. And what they do is they argue against God as if they could instruct Him. And that is foolishness. That is truly foolishness. If you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah 55. We look in Isaiah 55 at what God says through the prophet Isaiah. And we'll close with this passage. Isaiah 55 verse 7. What God says to those who do not know Him. He calls them back in His compassion. He calls them back to walk and understand Him. And He says in Isaiah 55 verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, the furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. We have been blessed with the Spirit of God which grants to us understanding, which grants to us revelation, which grants to us illumination in our mind. And so don't be surprised when people who don't know Christ cannot understand why you do what you do, but not only that, cannot understand the Word of God as it is taught. And they have no relationship with God that allows them to do that. But God has given to us a spirit that calls us to know and understand that God's ways are here in the Word of God. And they are so much higher than how we would do what we would do because His wisdom is so much greater than ours. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how great is your mind and your thoughts, O God. And we have been blessed, O Lord, with your word that we might understand and know your truth. And we pray, O Father, that we might continue to learn, to grow, to strive for an understanding of you and your word that we might be children who walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.